Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 17th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the podcast. Trying to get back on this Sunday schedule. And uh, it looks like we're rounding into the home stretch of the hot stove. Some big news came down. Not Mets news, but it will be a theme of this particular uh, show as uh, we're going to be discussing how where the Mets can go. And, and then, of course, uh, with DJ LeMay, who's signing with the Yankees for a six-year $90 million deal. How does that impact George Springer, if any? And Corey Kluber and his contract, I think it has a big impact on whether or not the Mets could sign some starting pitching depth because $11 million, I know he has a Cy Young pedigree, but $11 million for the performance he's given and the serious injuries he's had over the last couple of years throws the market a little bit into flux. This frozen hot stove that here we are just a month away from pitchers and catchers. And uh, I think I read the other day about 80% of the free agents are still out there, which is crazy, um, crazy situation. We knew it would be a lot tougher for these guys with the pandemic economy, with the collective bargaining agreement coming up, with a loss of revenue from the shortened season. But um, it's amazing uh, where we're at. As, as there's going to be a lot of guys without a job come pitchers and catchers. And I think there's going to be a number of veterans that are going to have to make the decision and say, do I sit out a year? Do I really really want a minor league non-roster invitee contract? Do I retire? I think that that's something that, uh, you know, there may be some quality players. And look, uh, like I said, there's players that can take ownership of their own health and development and, and work out and hang around and wait for the right opportunity as the season transpires. Maybe that's something that you'll see. But it is nice as uh, we get into the show here to be talking about roster configuration. I know we'll get a little bit into the luxury tax. I know there was some rumors about Brad Hand on Friday. I thought we'd be diving into him a little bit more, and, and it looks like some 
Some reported that he was signing or close to signing with the Mets. Then there was reports he wasn't. Um, I think uh, what happened there is I think I would have to think that the Mets side thinks it's closed. The Mets side thinks it's close, and I think that the player agent or somebody from the agency said, ho, 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 we got some other things in the hopper because they're trying to round out that contract and get that extra few million or that extra year. And uh, once that report came out that the Mets are close, obviously some other suitors like the Astros and so on and so forth uh, might be backing off. So that's how I think it went down. I'm not saying that Rosenthal... Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic that uh, came out with the rumor that the Mets and Bradhan were close to a deal uh, was doing anything wrong. I just think that he was getting the perspective from one side, and I've had a guess it was the team side because for it to go like that and then pull back, the agent would be the one that uh, would want to have a little bit more leverage there in that situation. But like I said, it's nice to be talking about the actual roster configuration because a year ago at this time, we were talking about sign stealing, managers getting fired, uh, the Mets got looped into something that was not, had nothing to do with them, and the media, of course, used it as an opportunity uh, to go after the team, as they had done through much of the final years of Will Pond ownership. Uh, basically, petition for the Mets to fire a manager that uh, had done uh, or supposedly did some things while he was a player. And and then use it as a pulpit to go after the general manager. And, and it was a very frustrating time uh, a year ago. And, and I'm glad we're not talking about those things. Because I was thinking about that as it came up about the sign stealing. And what's funny is George Springer and Michael Brantley or any, any free agent that has Astros connections, there always has to be this caveat. Well, they were part of the sign stealing group. And I'm sure when George Springer signs, he's going to have to do his, his May culpa. Just like even Jake Marisnik had to do when he was uh, in spring training and had to have to do a press conference. It's it's like you have to do your media tour and say, I'm sorry, over the sign stealing. But what a difference a year makes. Because I have to tell you the truth, that was, that was the most frustrating period of fake outrage, media fabrication, and taking something that uh, was an inefficiency of the league and basically, uh, you know, turn it into a law and order. A criminal situation. Little did they know that just a few weeks later with what was going to happen in the world, how insignificant sign stealing would look. And I guess now there's uh, some rules in place. I think we haven't truly vetted out how we're going to be able to merge technology and the game, but so be it. So anyway, that w- it was interesting how I was looking back a year ago and to say it's so much nicer to be talking about these things. So did Brad Hand sign? Did he, you know, did he not sign? I, I think that deal's going to get done. Uh, you know, I, I I just get the feeling when there's a lot of smoke like that, and I was listening to Baseball Night in New York on Friday night, and even Andy Martino was saying it's not done, but there's a lot of motivation on both sides to get this thing done. And let's face it, the Mets are in a position where, if I had to take a guess, the, Ash, the, the, uh, the hands agent is trying to squeeze out that extra year, those extra couple of million dollars. Now, the question really, and the theme of the show really is, Brad Hand or not, can the Mets afford George Springer? Because that's the big fish left. That was the guy that, like I said in prior broadcast, that it looked like it was a fait accompli that he was coming here. I mean, every legitimate source was talking about that. And then the Lindor trade happened, and DJ LeMahieu did not go to Toronto. And Toronto seems very motivated to spend some money. They're in on Real Muto, supposedly, but there's a lot of reports he's going to Philadelphia. You know, they were in on LeMahieu and very well finished a very close second on LeMahieu before the Yankees stepped up there at the end. And, and now uh, Springer, his name is out there connected uh, with Toronto and so on. So who knows where else, you know, is, is Odorizzi, Tanaka, who knows if they're in. They, they, they seem to have money and they want to spend money. And, and the question is now, as it really becomes sort of a Forbes podcast now, that's the thing. We're almost getting into the financial aspect. And and this whole AAV, average annual value, and luxury tax and, and salary, I'm not an expert. I'm doing the research and reading things that there's been a lot of sites that, that has, have done great work on this. You go out there and Google it, tons of stuff comes up. But I do think I have a pretty good feel. And the the thing is this, I think the Mets want Springer. I think the Mets want Springer. And I've said this, I've said this over the last two or three programs. Uh, the Mets want Springer at the right price. 
and they don't feel inclined to overpay and they think they could get him at the right price. And I think part of that probably, well, it's probably twofold. One, he's from the area, he's from Connecticut and getting close to home and being close to that area. If that is not a narrative that's misrepresented, because who knows, um, is important and, and, and the Mets would fill that need. I think in a normal environment, Toronto with the taxes and being in another country uh, is a tough situation. Uh, there was a report that um, when uh, Hyunjin Ryu signed with the Blue Jays after he left the Dodgers last year, they had to add a, a fourth year and guarantee almost $80 million. And I think there was been some concerns with the Dodgers how healthy he can be over the course of a long-term contract. But the Blue Jays had to offer an extra year to get him to come over and I guess feel comfortable with the kind of financial value of that contract being that he's going to be taxed at a, half of it at least is going to be taxed at a, a Canadian rate. So um, if the if if it comes down to a situation where Toronto blows this guy away and they just go bananas and maybe they go out there and they give him five years, six you know five years, one hundred sixty million dollars or one hundred seventy five million, oh, something crazy. You know, thirty-five million. I don't think they would go forty million. I don't think they would do that. He's not that kind of player. But let's say they get a sixth year, six years, thirty million dollars. You know, six 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 years, thirty million AAV. Going to be tough for the Mets to really justify that. And then he goes to Toronto and he's gone. And at that point, then the real debate that seems to be coming out there, which is, should the Mets then just focus on hand uh, a guy that can close an elite reliever, really put together? What is shaping up if you start to go through that bullpen is a really good bullpen. And then focus on some run prevention. Jackie Bradley Jr., Almora from the Cubs. Uh, you know, I've thrown out the name Jake Marisnik out there. You know, you have something like that. There's a lot of different ways you can go there uh, if you want. I mean, who knows if there's no DH. We're still debating that whole nonsense. Maybe Dom Smith's your left fielder and, and Nimmo's in center. And you kind of go out there with the same three that you had Maybe not as good a defensive outfield, but certainly a good offensive outfield that's there. Now, the real discussion with Springer and the need here is has nothing to do with Brad Hand. And by the way, with Brad Hand, I have heard, I want to throw this out there before we get more into Springer. With Brad Hand, I have heard that the Mets are looking at Jake McGee and Oliver Perez as kind of drop back options. That's very good information from someone I, I trust. And what's interesting is Oliver Perez, the reaction that I've, We've gotten uh, when people, you know, they still have this dislike of Perez a decade later. You know, the guy's had a pretty solid, you know, second act here out of the bullpen in his career. And Jake McGee, who was described to me by someone I trust as a one pitch pitcher that the Dodgers got to really focus on throwing his high fastball, which reverted back to the form that made him so effective, or the results, maybe not the same process, but the results that made him so effective in Toronto. So I didn't get a glowing assessment of uh, of Jake McGee from my contact. And, of course, there's still Justin Wilson out there. So there is some other options if Brad Hand decides or gets a deal and goes somewhere else. You've heard the Astros and a couple other teams and so on and so forth. But the real question with George Springer then comes down to, well, if the Mets sign Springer and they want Lindor, does that mean that bringing in Springer leads Michael Conforto out the door? And I think it's a different type of way you have to look at this, the need of Springer. You know, now that it's pretty clear, I don't think they're going the Bauer route. I really don't. I think, I think that's kind of he's it doesn't doesn't seem to be the the smoke that's there like with uh, with Springer. The real big fish left to reel in is Springer. And if I'm the Mets, I, the strategy is sound, going out there and trying to get him at your price. And if he gets blown away by someone else, knowing that it's a narrow market, then God bless him, let him go to Toronto. But you also have to think about, and you, you're, you're, everyone's acting like, well, you need to have, you need to have a space, not only under the luxury tax, uh, but, but obviously payroll flexibility to, to sign Conforto long-term after this year. I'm going to hold you back here for a minute. Scott Boris is Michael Conforto's agent. There is no guarantee that Michael Conforto is going to resign with the Mets or he's going to be easy to sign. And I'm going to give you a pause here because right now the real 
guy that's throwing a monkey wrench into Conforto, Springer, and all this is Bryce Harper. And you're probably asking yourself, Bryce Harper? What does Bryce Harper have to do with all this? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Now, before I give you a little fun with numbers here, remember, there's a lot of creative ways the Mets could get Springer under the luxury tax. Because that's the first issue. Mets don't seem to want to go above the luxury tax. And and, and I know Cano's contract will come back on next year. Mets are going to have to go over the luxury tax to stay competitive in the near term while they're rebuilding their farm system. They have to. They don't have enough depth to plug holes if they want to compete and win in the next two to three years. That's fact. They're going to have to. Even if they they don't want to do it this year, I get it politically. And I know that with the new CBA coming, that this might be a a moot point. It might be a whole new set of rules coming very shortly. But they're going to have to go over. And you can get creative and I was looking, you know, I know that Liam Hendricks has a buyout worth $15 million, which actually, it looks like, increased the average annual value of his contract with the White Sox when it came to the luxury tax. But then you got a guy like Jacob deGrom, who actually, the value of his contract this year versus the luxury tax, versus the, the, the soft cap, is $11 million less because they deferred so much money. So you could get creative with these contracts where... The dollar value and then the luxury tax value are way different. And I think the Mets have done it. They did it with DeGrom. I'm sure they'll be able to figure something out with Springer. And maybe that's why we haven't heard a lot of news because it's going to require them if he wants to get here to be creative, you know. But let me give you some numbers on three players and go back to the point why signing Springer, it may be necessary because you're not sure what Conforto's future is here. And Bryce Harper plays into it. Player number one, 135 OPS, uh, 278 batting average over the last four years, 364 on base, uh, 515 slugging. This is over the last four years. 879 OPS, average 27 homers, 71 RBIs. Michael, uh, second player, almost gave that away here. 134 OPS plus, 265 batting average, 369 on on base, 495 slugging, 864 OPS. Average of 24 homers, 68 RBIs. Now, the first player is George Springer. Second player is Michael Conforto. Guess what? I'm going to give you a third player, Bryce Harper, over the last four years. 139 OPS plus, 272 batting average, 394 on base, 530 slugging, 924 OPS, 28 homers, 84 RBIs. Bryce Harper started to lean in the pandemic shortened 60 game schedule much more towards the player he was as you got. You know more towards that MVP season that he had in 2015 than the player that he's been, which has been very good, but not a guy that I'd give 13-year contract to. Bryce Harper's making $27.5 million a year. Michael Conforto last year had a very similar year to Bryce Harper, and I've been tweeting about over at Mike Silva Media for a while, for a couple of years now, because I'm not the biggest Bryce Harper guy. I think he's rather overrated. That Mets already have Bryce Harper. And I said that when they were going after, you know, fans wanted them to go after Bryce Harper. I said they already have Bryce Harper. His name is Michael Conforto. And I meant that. I wasn't trying to be funny there or try to overrate Conforto. They already have a guy. And if I'm saying that and I'm looking at numbers, basic numbers from places like Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, you think Scott Boris is not already putting together some sort of book that's going to take Bryce Harper? And what he was able to get from the Phillies on that 13-year deal at about $26-27 million a year, north of $300 million, and try to get Conforto, I'm not saying the same contract, because Harper, different market, different economy. Harper has a Q rating as a player that probably supersedes what kind of player he is. Uh, but, you know... Michael Conforto probably is going to ask for $27, $28, 30000000 million a year. Now, you could argue, and the Mets, I'm sure, will, that whatever Springer gets, Conforto's going to be in that same vein because they're kind of, the, obviously their numbers are very similar, but, um, you know, let's let's face it, Conforto's agent is, is, uh, is, is one of the best out there. And Conforto's also going to be entering his age 28, middle of his prime. Springer's more entering the late prime. So there's a lot of differences. I mean, Conforto age-wise is right around the same age right now as as Bryce Harper. It's just that he didn't come up when he was 19 like Harper. He went to college. So a little bit different situation. So 
the point here is signing George Springer might be your safety net if Michael Conforto leaves. Now, does that mean it's a fait accompli? You know, they can't afford Lindor. They can't afford Springer and Conforto. It does get complicated. It does. And I think that's why the important thing here is this. Can the Mets afford George Springer? I believe they can. I believe it's important for them to try to engage with him as much as they can. But it has to be creative. You can't go out there and get him at any cost. And I think it's going to come down to, does Toronto or another mystery team, you keep hearing the Blue Jays, but you never know. Are the Astros still involved in this thing? There might be somebody else. The thing is, do you if, they, if, if he doesn't get blown away, it would be in his motivation to get creative and to be able to find some way um, to sign here and be where, again, reports are, he wants to be close to home. Now, did DJ LeMayhew depress his market uh, as his average annual value of his contracts, you know, 18 to $19 million a year? I don't know if Springer gets down to that. It's hard to say. And the Yankees sp- stretch that out. And LeMayhew is a middle infielder. His track record is not quite the same as Springer. He's been much better over the last couple of years. Maybe his value to the Yankees, meaning what they value him at and where he wanted to play, he was comfortable there, allowed him to feel comfortable maybe taking a little bit less AAV. He might be setting a trend with some of these guys in their 30s, these players that are looking for long-term deals where they're not as focused on the average per year dollar value. They're average, They're focused on the total years and the total dollars because they want to bridge their uh, paydays to the end of their careers. You know, someone like George Springer gets a five or six-year deal, gets him into his late 30s. The sum of the contracts, the sum of the contract, average annual value, dollars per year, that's probably more union, ego, um, other type of important things that are out there. At the end of the day, $150 million is $150 million. You know, you're getting that money. Whether it's deferred or not, you're getting that money. But it is going to be interesting because let's say they don't sign George Springer. Everybody's been talking about, oh, the Mets got to sign Lindor. The Mets got to uh, make sure they, you know, get him locked up. And I, and I said on the last program, slow down. Slow down a little bit. Do you realize what the popular opinion out there, what a lot of fans is, sign Lindor, sign Conforto long term. Do you realize that you're about a year away if those two things happen over the next 12 months from 43% of your payroll, let's assume a $200 million payroll or even around the 210 luxury taxes where the Mets want to be. 43% of your payroll could be three players. Lindor, Conforto, DeGrom. Now, DeGrom could opt out after 2022 and he'll be 34 years old. And, uh, you know, the Mets are on the hook after that for... You know, a little bit, you know, about $64 million over two years. Interesting, I didn't realize how much of DeGrom's contract, over $50 million is deferred, which is helping lower the average annual value. You know, there's a lot of questions from some of you in the audience that sent me emails saying, you know, how does this work? The bottom line is the average annual value is what it is. Uh, The way you get creative is by deferring money, it looks like. I mean, that to me, you know, and even maybe with signing bonuses, you could maybe give some value there, but you have to spread that out. That's not really going to help you. It's like a player option. You know, you still got to spread that over the length of the contract. The deferrals are different. It looks like the deferrals lower the value because I was looking at DeGrom as an example of what they can do with Springer. But but think about what I just said. You know, that's that's three players. Three players. Uh, one a pitcher who's going to be in his late 30s, late prime. Uh, Lindor, who we talked about the risks there. We don't know, how, you know, what his situation is going to look like. You know, he hasn't had a Lindor elite year in a couple of years. And Conforto, who's very, very good. But you have to hope that the Conforto you're getting is more like the version that he's been the last couple of years. He's improved. Every year since his... his that, Came up, had a very good second half in 2015. Did not have a good 2016, got sent down. Had the great 2017 before he separated his shoulder and the season ended. He was an all-star. And then he started to, after a slow start in 18, he came on late there. He's been very good. He's been every bit what Bryce Harper has given both the Nats and the Phillies over that time. But you're committing. Those are your offensive, those are your two offensive core players, and that's your pitcher. And now you have to hope within two years 
that your Matthew Allens and JT Ginns and uh, uh, Zapuki, Zapuki. See, I always say his name wrong, and you guys get crazy with me. Zapuki, 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 Zapuki. When he gets called up, I'll figure his name out because I have to at that point. But you got to hope those pitchers are able to come in and and um, be a little bit more affordable because you're paying Degrom thirty-two million dollars a year now. Max Scherzer, and if he opts out, Max Scherzer's a good comp. Max Scherzer right now is the same age. He's going to be a free agent after, I think, the end of this year. And, uh, you know, he's making, uh, <clears throat> you know, 34 to $35 million a year. Now, I said DeGrom was hired a new agency, so he certainly is up to something there. I don't think he's hiring them just to get him marketing opportunities. Uh, they don't get a dime of what the prior contract that was negotiated by CAA. So... You know, in the end, I think George Springer, the point here is, can the Mets afford him? Yes, they can afford him. But they have to get creative, and they can't go crazy here. Can they sign him, and does that mean that Lindor is gone, Conforto's gone? No, it doesn't. I think it complicates things. And I think it's a good complexity, because now you have options. You cannot run on the premise here. You cannot build your team on the premise and say, well, I can't sign George Springer long-term because I'm going to now, you know, that I have to sign Michael Conforto. I don't think Michael Conforto coming back to New York is a guarantee. I also don't think Michael Conforto has an agent um, that gives hometown discounts. He also has an agent that brings players to free agency. He also has an agent that likes to drag things out late into the offseason. All of that bottlenecking your roster construction. If you have George Springer... You just slide him over into Conforto's corner spot because that's probably his future anyway. You got Nimmo on the other side, and then you could go figure out your center field situation. Maybe at that point, something else transpires. And I know what some of you are thinking. We have this name comes up every every program. Kelnick. Well, if they had Kelnick, yeah, I don't want. I don't care. I can't deal with that anymore. So there's a lot there from a, t- a standpoint of George Springer to think about. And it's not just figuring out how to fit him under the cap. You have to figure the cap, the luxury tax. You have to really think long and hard and say, do I need to make this work? Because I may need his bat long range because I really only have Conforto one more year and I just don't see him being a high percentage chance of resigning. Because once that gets into a bidding war, and if somebody out there believes Michael Conforto is better or that of Bryce Harper and goes really crazy and throws him a big contract, well, then you have to make that decision. And then there's a threshold where you may have to walk away. And then you don't have Springer, because if you don't make this happen, and then you lose Conforto, and now your offense takes a little bit of a hit. Because now a key offensive middle-of-the-order hitter is gone. And, you know, Lindor is great, but Lindor can't play nine positions and he can't get up nine times or eight times, whatever it may be. So something to think about. So there's a lot there. I, I personally think Springer, what's going on here, there's two things going on with Springer and Hand. Those are the guys that they're focused on. And Hand right now, I, I, and again, this is total speculation. Hand right now, just trying to make as much money on this contract which is probably going to be two years. He's probably trying to squeeze a third. Knows this is probably his last chance to make some big multi-year money. I think he wants to be with the Mets. I think the Mets want him. I think that he's just trying to play this market and squeeze every dollar he can by putting pressure on them. Springer, I believe he wants to be here. I think if there was other greater offers and they were out there, he would be moving more in towards that direction. And maybe by the time this goes live, he's signed with the Mets or somebody else, and then this is all stale. There's still some interesting things to listen to here if that's the case. But anyway, I think right now, for the rest of this offseason, or at least in the short term here, it's really about whether or not the Mets can close the deal on hand and find a way to get creative and get Springer under their uh, luxury tax threshold because they can do those two things and don't worry about the surrounding stuff because there's always going to be enough veterans that if they want to come in on shorter deals, incentive-laden deals, or if there's you know a way to clear up some space. And guess what? If you get the right deals and at some point they're going to go over this year of the luxury tax, you know what? Steve Cohen's going to do that because he wants to make a splash. He wants to win, and I think 
You may not want to do that now and go crazy now, but throughout this 2021 season, I don't think that 210 is going to be a hard cap for him, and it will not prevent them from making in-season improvements. Uh, and I don't think they necessarily need a ton of money to add depth because I think there's going to be plenty of guys without a job right now. The supply and demand, the simple economics just tells you that there's going to be a lot of supply of different depth options and veterans, and they're probably not going to command a lot of money if they want to play. And they're going to be out there after the season starts because they're not all going to get signed by opening day, and then they're either going to have to decide that they want to retire or they're going to hang out and work out and be their own uh, uh, hired contractor and wait for the right opportunity because I think you're going to have a lot of those guys out there. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, did Corey Kluber and the Yankees screw up the pitching depth market? I think they have, and that's why I think the Mets are going to probably have some hard times here signing anybody. I know they wanted to sign another arm, it appears, and and I don't know if that's going to happen because Corey Kluber kind of screwed things up. Good for him, bad for the Mets. Curious why the Yankees did it. Anyway, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. And uh, it's funny, as we were taking the break, I was going through Twitter, and it looks like Jeff Passan is putting some cold water on a report that the Yankees acquired Luis Castillo from the Reds. So it's interesting. Here we are talking about Corey Kluber and the Yankees signing him. And uh, there's some Yankee news being banded about or rumors that aren't rumors and whatnot. It's been, I'll tell you, with the, even with this, and I know this for a fact that Sandy Alderson isn't a big fan of leaks with reporters and whatnot, but uh, you're not getting as much juice through the grapevine as you used to uh, throughout the offseason. I don't know if that's because of um, the lack of clubhouse access this past season. I think a lot of teams are tired of their business being uh, run roughshod by the rumor mill uh, because that does play a factor into everything. And um, that's why it makes it so much harder to speculate what George Springer's market is because right now, you know, are there teams that just don't leak and that he's talking to? Uh, and, and I think a lot of the leaks come from agencies. So I'm assuming that somebody has some kind of claw into the Springer agency over there with uh, with reporting and whatnot. And there's there's been so much fait accompli with him going to the Mets that I don't think guys like Buster Olney and Andy Martino and, and all these other guys, uh, you know, big-time reporters, I don't think they would throw that out there responsibly. Their reputation is on the line. So anyway, but uh, so Corey Kluber signs with the Yankees for $11 million. Uh Shocked that he got that much. Thought he'd be more of an incentive-laden type guy. Very low base, a lot of incentive coming off you know shoulder issues. He was already pitching poorly in 2019 before he broke his, uh, got hit by a comebacker. Uh, and, and now he's got shoulder issues from last year. So there's been a decline even before the shoulder issues. Now, I think this is a thank you to Cressy Sports Performance. It's an athlete training facility, a company that uh, Eric Cressy, um, who's the performance coach that oversees the Yankees' strength and conditioning. He comes from there. That's his company. And obviously, Kluber's uh, worked out over there. So it just made a ton of sense. But, you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, here we are. We're talking about it being a pandemic economy. And, you know, here's a guy that, over the last couple of years, only eight starts in two years. We complain about Carrasco, or I complain about Carrasco, saying, hey, great pitcher, but hasn't pitched a lot since 2018. This is a guy that's made eight starts in two years, has an ERA over 86, did uh, ERA plus of 86, which is well below league average. And that's like Michael Wacko, Rick Porcello level, pitched poorly against big teams in the postseason like the Yankees and the Astros. And I'm saying to myself, you know, if he's getting $11 million a year, you could forget about the Mets finding some way to get a Tanaka or Odorizzi to round out their rotation. And I don't think the Mets at this point, after getting Carrasco, were going that route. I think they were 
I would think because they went to a James Paxton workout, they were going more that route. Low base, incentive-laden contract. Um, Tiwan Walker, Taiwan Walker, I should say. Taiwan Walker, I should pronounce his name correctly. Um, same deal. And I'm saying to myself, if I'm those two guys, um, well, you know, I'm <laughs> if that guy's getting $11 million, and I get it, he's got a Cy Young pedigree. So maybe there's something to be said there. But... If that's what this guy's getting, you know, I Paxton EA had back issues, had pretty good couple of years with the Yankees. Taiwan Walker had uh, decent pandemic shortened season. <clears throat> so you know, um, what does this mean now that Kluber goes out there and gets this kind of money? I think it raises the bar for some of the high end, high potential scrap heap pickups. And uh, very well may mean that the Mets are just going to have to go out there and and work with some of the roster depth they uh, they already have. And and when you look at uh, the Mets starting pitching right now, you go out and you sign a Brad Hand and you get a George Springer. Let's say that the Mets pull that off. It's not going to leave them a lot of room to do anything of significance. They're going to have to go out there and, and, and find some value bin signings. And I look right now, so if you look at, they have DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, Peterson, Matz. You know, that's that's your rotation come opening day. You have Syndergaard, which you hope you have sometime before the All-Star break. But I'm not, you know, that's later rather than sooner. So you're going to be going through maybe 60, 80 games where you're going to be getting starts out of Peterson and Matz. Peterson, not, not a bad shortened season. Matz was a disaster. Not ready to give up on Matz. Now, let's assume that the Mets aren't looking to, and there's been reports that they have payroll-shaving options out there. And all I could think of is the three names that come up for those payroll-shaving options are Mats, Familia, and Batances. And the only one that I think teams would take off the Mets' hands would be Mats because he has potential. I think the other two guys, nobody would take off their hands. So, um, But you look at, the depth after that, you have Kilame, Corey Oswald, Sam McWilliams, Zapuki, who I heard did not perform all that great in the offsite. And I don't know how true that is, but I saw some rumblings that he wasn't, you know, he didn't even get a chance to pitch last year. And they needed starting pitching, which is peculiar. You also have a Jared Eikhoff out there, a veteran like that. But I think Jared Eikhoff's a perfect example. Jared Eikhoff is probably the kind of pitcher now a guy that has some decent peripherals here and there, but not a lot of success over the last few years. Probably is last time he made thirty starts was twenty sixteen. He's a guy that you don't wanna you don't wanna have him fill in more than a couple of times around the rotation. He's certainly depth. If you're relying on him, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, he's the guy that you wanna get to with, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. He's probably more you know, you're in, in this world. You probably want him to be more eight nine than anything like that. Mets are going to have to try to go out and find more Jared Eikhoffs or guys that uh, could be depth that are willing to pitch in Syracuse. That's what it really comes down to. Because quite honestly, now they don't sign Springer or they don't sign Hand. That changes the situation. I can't see them getting shut out on both of those guys. But even if they sign a Brad Hand, uh, I'm not sure they're ready. The Mets had gone out and given Corey Kluber eleven million dollars. I would not have been supportive of that move. I would not have been supportive of spending that money, knowing that you're going to come up against the luxury tax at some point, spending that kind of money in that way for a guy that I think is a lottery ticket and I think is far more risky um, than anybody thinks. I don't care what Cressy's performance, uh, sports performance says about uh, what they know. And they would know. Listen, they work out with the guy. So I really think what's interesting is that DJ LeMahieu and Kluber have moved the markets a little bit. I don't know if LeMahieu really impacted Springer. I think Springer was already kind of uh, a situation where the Mets were going to have to get creative, and I don't know if anybody other... The fact that only Toronto seems to be interested, I don't think there's anybody out there ready to throw big money at, at him. But Kluber, I think, changes the scrap heap market of the guys that have potential, and I think it makes them much more expensive. And if I were them... You know, I would potentially uh, wait for the right deal. And again, I'm going to say this. I said this a couple of times already. I think players, as they get closer to pitchers and catchers, are going to try to sit back 
and see what happens because as teams have injuries in spring training, as teams start to compete and crystallize throughout the regular season, remember Gio Gonzalez a couple of years ago wound up signing in, in, in what, April or May with uh, Milwaukee after the Yankees let him go. Uh, I think they're going to take control of their own development. They could do that now. And I know with the pandemic, it might be harder for some of them because I'm sure workout facilities are not as prevalent. But look, these guys will go down to areas where they could, you know, find some place, pay the money. They might have their own facilities in their homes. There's ways around that. I think you're going to see a lot of that. And if I'm in their shoes, now that I saw that, I'm like, well, if I show anything or I get in the right situation... Maybe you're not going to get an $11 million guarantee like Corey Kluber because they don't have the resume of him. But I might get a lot better deal as we get closer to that situation than I would now when the supply and demand is out there. And there are some teams that are really not sure if they need the services of some of these scrap heap guys. I don't know how many teams think they need Taiwan Walker. I don't know how many teams think they need uh, James Paxton. And look, if the Blue Jays have all this money, they're going to grab one of these guys. Walker will pitch for them. So he might be one of them. So. Anyway, is interesting thought there. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Doc Gooden's first two years in the big leagues were some of the best in the history of baseball. How did that impact him going forward? He discussed this with me on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, normally you have those type of years, maybe like year five, year six, once you get like 28, 29 years old. Mine happened in 1920, my first two years. I remember a game in 86 where I pitched a shutout, but I only had three uh, strikeouts. The first question was, what happened? You only had three strikeouts. And, you know, you'll say the political correct words. You'll say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I just want to win. It's for the team. But inside, now, that hit a nerve where you feel like my next start, I got to pitch nine innings. I got to pitch a shutout. I got to get ten strikeouts. Um, and I, I lost some fun that I was having in game because of that. Because expectations where it became like the media expectation, the fan expectation, then it became my expectations. What I felt that anything I did, like I couldn't match 85 no matter what I did. But in my mind, if I didn't get the 10 strikeouts or whatever, it wasn't the same. It wasn't just a win. And I wasn't having as much fun as I should have had. And that's one of the things I regret looking back at my career now, where I allowed things, with, you know, whether it's the media, the fans, or myself up to that point getting into my own head along that needed to lose the fun because it should be a privilege playing Major League Baseball and you're still winning games, you're still pitching great. Obviously it's not eighty five, but unfortunately I had my career year, my second year, or you say my first year, and you're never gonna match that again. Listen to this and more at ww.talkingmetspodcast.com All right, final thoughts. So uh, what's next? Um, We have, uh, obviously, this George Springer watch, the Brad Hand watch. I think, depending on how that shakes out, we'll dive deeper into the bullpen. Wanted to kind of leave it to Springer in hand and and my thoughts on where I think that that's at. So there'll be more of that. I think the Mets bullpen's shaping up to be pretty good. I'm still a little bit worried about some of the walks coming out of that bullpen, but let's dive into that. And I'd even put Seth Lugo as a rotation option when I went through the depth. And and if this Kluber deal is uh, a death knell to them gr- grabbing depth, Lugo may have to be reconsidered out of as a as a starting rotation depth piece, or maybe they go the opener route with him. I, I talked about that last year. I remember when I said maybe you could even go a couple of days a week if you wanted to piggyback and and have him go two or three innings, uh, and then bring a starter in or something along those. Uh, Something along those methods of of some sorts. I'm not a I'm not an opener guy. I don't like it. I'd rather have the traditional starting rotation with quality starters. But you have to be more open minded these days. And uh, obviously, you're not going to pass on a George Springer of someone of that high quality offensive production um, to bring in an iffy uh, scrappy pitcher because you know that to me just you rather I rather them go with the opener at that point. I mean I think the offense and the bullpen will be good enough to make up for some of that. But we'll get deeper into that. Uh, as always, I want you guys to leave me a review, good, bad, or indifferent. I've been uh, reading some reviews. I wanted to read. I wanted to thank a few recent reviews. Some really nice. And I don't. I uh, I really don't uh, just read the good ones. I'll read criticism. So if you want to leave me a criticism, you know, I want it to be fair. Like I always say, 
want it to be fair. You want to give me a one star, two star? I don't get crazy about that. Obviously, the more reviews and the higher the the rating, the better it'll be for us to grow this show. Again, I'm not getting paid for this. I do this because I love it. I do this because I think it's important to have somebody be sort of that bridge between the two sides. I keep saying that, but I wanted to thank you know two or three good, uh, nice reviews with some good feedback that came to uh, me this past week. But uh, DFKELSM on Apple wrote, a great listen each week, often a contrarian position, but it makes you think, and Mike's got it right more often than not. Uh, well, Mark's got it more often than the rosy-eyed fan would like to admit. Let's go, Mets. That's a very fair thing. Yeah, sometimes I get contrarian, and maybe that's what I try to do. But I want to say I don't like to do that just to be contrarian. I really try to look at things a little differently, and I really fight against groupthink. That's one of the biggest things in my life that I really uh, I stand very firm on. Groupthink is a, is a dangerous thing. And sometimes people get into groupthink because they want to be accepted. And in this goofy uh, Mets community, it's almost like high school. If you have a certain opinion or you don't go with the rosy-eyed fan opinion, they leave you out or they don't include you. And you can see that. Look at you know who gets selected to do things for the Queens Baseball Convention. So I'll leave it at that. Um, Movie King 80 wrote, I listened to another a number of Mets... Blah, I listen to a number of Mets podcasts, but Talking Mets is one that I consider can't miss. Mike Silva's not a shill by any means. He calls it like he sees it. And while I don't always agree with his opinions, and we've discussed a few times on Twitter, I appreciate the thoughtful insight every week. Movie King 80, thank you. If you have a good movie that you want to recommend on Twitter or you want to email me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, by all means, send it over. I'm Netflixed out. I'm running out of stuff on Netflix. Between the pandemic and the last year and a half, kind of getting into streaming and everything like that, I'm running out of stuff. I'd love to hear from many of you. If you guys have series that you like, movies, things that maybe are not the obvious, we'll see. And then uh, Donald Dragon wrote, In this day and age, if you're a Mets fan, you must be listening to Silva. He's well-informed, he's engaging, he's thoughtful, and he explains his analysis. Are you looking for someone to shock you? Don't look here. Are you looking for someone to shout mindless invective all day long don't look here are you looking for someone who will criticize just to criticize and then not be accountable don't look here are you looking for a hater who just hates to just hate don't look here are you looking for someone who's not shy about his opinion mike silva wants someone who you can respect even when you disagree with um mike silva want an interviewer who understands the subtleties and subtleties subtleties ugh I'm, I'm, I'm on fire today. I'm, I'm malapropping this whole thing. And nuances in history of the game and the New York Mets, Mike Silva. If you're a true Mets fan and you want to hear, A, what is going on, B, an informed and engaging analysis of what is going on, C, someone who remains accountable, Mike Silva is the one for you. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says, not by a long shot, but he explains why he says what he says, and he deepens my appreciation for his analysis, even if I still don't agree. It is fun to be a Mets fan. It's more fun to be a Mets fan than to listen to Silva. Let's go, Mets. I cannot ask for a better review, and I probably botched that because it was long-winded, but I appreciated Donald Dragon. And uh, I, when you throw a, a subtly, 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 oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to pronounce that. That's That one you got me tongue-tied on, so... Uh, you guys got me. You got me with Taiwan Walker and Zapuki and now that. And, you know, I, I'm not the I admit I've listened back to a couple of shows and I'm like, Ugh, I could have said that a little bit differently. Um, I never profess to be this great English scholar. I think I'm pretty articulate and I try not to have the Brooklyn accent come out or the Long Island accent. Now, I've been in Long Island quite a long time. Uh, but sometimes you guys get me all tongue tied up. I'll get that one. I'll get that one uh, out there. But anyway, Donald Dragon, thank you. So I want to hear from you guys, good, bad, or indifferent. You want to email me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. You want to leave it on Apple Podcasts. You want to leave it on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Send it to me whichever way. Uh, I always get back to you. Sometimes it takes a little longer than I'd like, but I always get back to you. And I appreciate, and I've gotten some very uh, irate emails from people. And, you know, I've always gotten back to them. And the first thing I always say, I want to thank you for listening and taking the time to even write that, even though it's not a positive email, because that means that I've at least given you something to think about. And I didn't waste your time because you don't write emails, good or bad, to people who waste your time. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening. And hopefully we're back on schedule with our Sunday shows. 
If you want to check me out all the time, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, like I said before, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.